You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And it's another gorgeous day here in the Pacific Northwest. You know, clear blue skies. Started out foggy this morning, but just a beautiful afternoon. Of course, when it's nice and still and, and all that means the high pressure is sitting over Oregon kind of means that they're going to get some of those Santa Ana winds in California. So look out California uh, this time of year. And it sounds like they might have a few power outages down there, too. And I kind of, you know, kind of wonder when you start holding power companies liable for, you know, fires and stuff like that, you know, this kind of is like the the you know, typical pendulum swing that goes on that I've talked about here with, with regulation and deregulation and re-regulation. seems we always go from one end to the other, you know, uh, not doing quite enough maintenance. It turns out to be a fire. We sue the, the living heck out of um, a power company. So the next year, guess what? They're cutting off power to half of California, it seems like, <laughs> as a preemptive to avoid creating any fires um so i i feel bad for anyone that like has uh, you know home oxygen generating equipment or you know needs to have uh you know uh, you know electricity to you know for in their home for anything really you know serious um you know some of these you know dairies that might need electricity uh you know who knows? But you know, California is going to have a tough couple of days here with the uh, the winds they're predicting down there and the temperatures and the dry dry air. But we're here to talk about Lane County and Pacific Northwest and just about anything you want to talk about. And you can always control the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show just by giving us a call at six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. Just Press one so we know you want to get on the conversation and you're not just calling to listen. So it's 646-721-9887. Press one so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, will know you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. Where And I got a quick little announcement, if I can, right at the top oh, here. Sure. Go ahead, Robin. Well, as we've advertised at the top of the program in our promo that you can listen to us on player.fm, I just wanted to announce we are also on iHeartRadio, so you can reach us there on your cell phone. Ooh, there you go. So there's all sorts of ways to listen to the Bose Nose Show, and there's all sorts of ways for you to get in on the conversation. You you know, if you don't want to call and be live on the air and all that stuff, you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net, you know, with with questions or questions. issues you want me to cover or potential guests you want me to bring on. You can also message us on our Facebook page, uh, which is our KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is the Facebook page. You type in KRBN and Facebook, you'll find us, I'm pretty sure. And uh, you can also you know, message me directly on Facebook. You know, I've got my Jay Bozovich West Lane County Commissioner page, or you can find my personal Jay Bozovich page. Uh, not too many Bozoviches on Facebook either. So uh, KRBN and Bozovich, either one of those, and you probably find a way to get a hold of us uh, through social media. And of course, you know, you can always contact me through Lane County. Um, so lots of ways to get input into the, the show or 
back to me for, for any sorts of reasons. You don't always have to call in, but we do like to get a good conversation going here on the Bo's Nose Show. That's why we do this show. And speaking of conversations, um, you know, there's a photograph that was put out uh, and got quite a bit of uh, controversy going of Ellen DeGeneres. And if people don't know who Ellen is, you know, she has a talk show uh, on television in the afternoons, but she was also had her own sitcom for a while. Uh, a comedian uh, that is, you know, uh, of the uh, LGBTQ uh, whatever uh, community and um, was happened to end up sitting next to former president GW uh, at a football game down in Dallas, Texas. And a photo went on the internet of the two of them sitting next to each other, smiling and having a, a conversation and, and look like they're both having a, a nice time at football game. Uh, and apparently that really made a lot of people mad at Ellen you know, that are kind of on her side of the aisle uh, and, you know, felt like she was being a traitor. And I thought Ellen, you know, said something, you know, pretty profound was, you know, we're all different, but we can still be friendly to each other. You know, we may not agree uh, on, on issues and policy, but that doesn't mean we can't be friendly. And I think it was a really great demonstration of somebody choosing to be kind rather than choosing not to be. You know, you know that Ellen and, and GW don't agree on a lot of policy. And, and you know, that, that's fine. But, you know, that doesn't mean they couldn't be friendly at a football game. You know, you don't have to hate your neighbor because they put up a lawn sign for the other candidate. You know, you can still be friendly and you can choose to be kind in situations. And, and it's a, a really important concept, I think, uh, that is starting to kind of get some traction, partly because of, believe it or not, a scientific study that came about because of a um, experiment that went on with rabbits. And you can actually look this book up, um, you know, uh, and I, 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 I'll have to go back. And if you guys want the reference, I'll have to go back and look at some notes of mine to get the actual book's title. But there's a book written about um, how this, this experiment was going on with rabbits. And there were different teams taking care of the rabbits that were going through this study. And there were rabbits that were, that were bred to get cancer. You know, they, they, they were susceptible to cancer and the whole, but there was this one group of rabbits being kept by this one team that always was outliving all the other rabbits and they couldn't figure out what was going on, you know, with the, it was throwing the, the uh, test results off and everything. What they found out was all the other teams were typically, you know, just, you know, the rabbits come out of the cage, they get whatever, you know, treatments and whatever else, they go back in the cage, they get fed through the cage, all that stuff. This particular team, though, had a couple people that really liked rabbits. And when they pulled them out, they cuddled the rabbits and hugged on them. And, and you know, that was a regular thing for them. And lo and behold, these rabbits out were outliving all the other rabbits. And it was purely about that kindness that was being showed to the rabbits kind of extended their lives. And it kind of got this researcher into the thought of, you know, is there a real physiological and, and, and serious psychological link to, to kindness and, and added life and other benefits? And, it, and it's been studied by several different researchers now. And it's been shown that organizations that um, try and uh, promote a culture of kindness within you know, have more engaged employees, they have um, less turnover of employees, uh, they have higher pro productivity, you know, less grievances filed, all that stuff. You know, so there, it, there's really a lot to promoting kindness in an organization. Promoting kindness in a community is beneficial. But it gets back to, though, we've got a group of people in Lane County that are asking Lane County to declare ourselves a community of kindness. 
you know, and do this kind of formal resolution declaring Lane County a community of kindness. And it gets to some of what we talked about in a previous show here on the Bo's Nose show about, you know, declarations versus actions, you know, declaring your good intentions, intentions versus taking the resources that went into making that declaration and actually carrying out those good intentions. Uh, and that's where I kind of draw the line. I fully support the idea of trying to promote kindness in Lane County and our in our organization throughout the community. And I'll probably talk about it um, again. I've talked about it in other ways on this show. I've talked about, you know, assuming other people have good intentions. That's part of being kind. You know, if you disagree with somebody about politics, but assuming the reason they disagree is they just have another view on on what's best for the community and assuming they have good intentions makes for a whole lot better conversation. You know, and I'm sure that George Bush and Ellen DeGeneres sitting next to each other at a football game just assumed that the reason they have lots of differences politically were because they have both have good intentions and they could sit next to each other and, and enjoy a football game and have a laugh at the football game. That's really part of being kind, you know, and I think we had another huge demonstration of kindness in that uh, trial of the police officer in Dallas, um, the uh, female police officer that uh, supposedly stumbled into the wrong apartment after a shift and, and ended up uh, shooting the owner, of the, the actual tenant of the apartment uh, and was convicted of murder. Um, the the victim's brother chose to forgive the police officer publicly in court and give her a hug in court. What a moment of kindness that was and grace and the power of forgiveness in the long run. You know, it just is such a powerful thing to do, but it's surprising. I posted on my Facebook page last night, be like Ellen choose kindness. You know, that was all I posted. You know, most people knew what I was talking about because they had heard the news and heard about the controversy and all that. And, you know, people are liking it, loving it, and all that good stuff. But you'd be surprised of the number of people who posted nasty comments back to that single post. You know, either taking Ellen to task for not being kind to, to President Trump. It's like, is it kind to point out when somebody's not kind, you know, in that situation? Why not celebrate the fact that she was at least kind in this one situation with George W. Bush, you know, or people bringing up other situations where somebody of one political persuasion or another hasn't been kind. That's not what the post was about, was, you know, is reacting negatively to a post asking you to choose kindness kind, you know? It was surprising to me how people just can't do it sometimes. And part of it is it has to be practiced. You know, it's a difficult thing. And, and I, you know, I, I will admit, I quite often, partly because I've got that engineer brain and I, I think logically and don't think about feeling, can be pretty unkind because I, I just say something that sounds reasonable thought out, logical, and all that stuff, but really never really took into account somebody's feelings. Um, so I have to work at it pretty hard myself. And, you know, I have a tendency to be critical because that's what my my engineer training is to critic, you know, to critique things and try and make them better, you know, always problem solving, always trying to do that. You know, and it's kind of like sometimes it's just better not to say the critique and just say, you know, that's really nice, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, I'm glad you're thinking of ways to improve things or something. You know, it's just, you know, being kind is a, is a tough thing to do. So having a reminders in our community to try and do that is a good thing. Whether or not we actually need a declaration of the board uh, to declare our kindness might be another. You know, I kind of feel like there's the difference between modeling behavior and promoting that behavior and then just uh, signaling the virtue that, that of, of 
that behavior, you know. Um, so I kind of, um, you know, when it kind of came up at a board meeting about this community of kindness, I kind of wasn't real warm to the idea, very warm to the idea that I think we're already trying to do that in our organization. And, I, and I'm perfectly happy with private organizations promoting it. I just don't know if we need to take taxpayer resources to actually write up a declaration and declare Lane County a community of kindness. Um, but I'm interested in what you might think about that. So you can always give me a call here on the show, 646-721-9887, and press 1 so we know you want to get on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. Uh, and tell me what you think about declaring Lane County a community of kindness. But speaking of declarations and resolutions, um, we had another one come up before the board yesterday. You know, I talked a couple weeks ago about our um, emergency declaration around homelessness and how meaningless that was. Yesterday, we had another meaningless resolution come forward um, about addiction um, in, and, and what an issue it is in our community. Like, Nobody knows that, kind of like homelessness. Nobody knows it's a problem. Uh, yeah, so we have to go through and, and spend staff time and resources to draft up a resolution and vote on it to declare that addiction is a problem in our community. And, you know, this one in particular probably costs more than the, the, the just minimal $1,000 that anything that comes before the board costs because it's got to go through all the processes to reach the board, like being reviewed by our county council to make sure we don't violate any laws, to make sure it's consistent, staff look at it, to make sure it's consistent with previous things we've done on the subject. Um, you know, that's basically for a basic resolution, um, that's like a thousand bucks. But with this one, we actually had to take what the a community a group in the community um, wanted us to adopt and rework it to be uh, a Lane County resolution versus their model language, which wasn't really, didn't really work for us. Um, and so the staff had to go back and forth with them. So this probably cost way more than a thousand dollars, probably two, maybe $3,000 worth of, of staff time to draft this resolution. And the bottom line in the resolution was it said we would support we supported Governor Brown's executive um, decision to declare um, addiction an emergency in Oregon. Well, Governor Brown made that declaration in May of 2018, and she just recently, in the past week, said that she's not going to do anything in the short session, meaning it's going to be another 18 months before she actually um, wants to take any action on that actual um, declaration to address the issue, that she's not going to try and address um, funding and, and resources for addiction in the short session coming up. So we we're we're approving, you know, voting, going to vote to approve a resolution supporting Governor Brown's declaration. Um, which she's taken absolutely no action on and probably won't for almost three years after she makes the declaration. I'm sorry, but that's sort of meaningless to me. You know, I would much rather have taken that two or $3,000 and put it into, you know, resources for folks that are addicted. And, you know, not only that, Governor Brown in her recommended budget actually cut back on Community Corrections Act funding which we use here in Lane County to support an organization called Emergence, which provides addiction treatment to folks that are involved in the criminal justice system as we refer them to them. Uh, so it's really, you know, I, you know, listen to what I say, but don't watch what I do when it comes to Governor Brown on addiction. So, yeah, I, I basically, um, voted against that resolution, and uh, that was part of my reason why, is I just felt it didn't take a lot of action. And it's not like I am not personally committed to addiction treatment. You know, I, I, 
mentioned this in the board meeting briefly, but my wife and I support only a couple of charities because we want to focus our money uh, where we think it's going to actually make a difference. And um, in fact, I doubled the amount I give to charities when board got a raise a couple years ago. Um, and the two charities that I choose to give to are Looking Glass, uh, which provides addiction and mental health and um, homeless services to youth, and uh, Willamette Treatment Services, Willamette Family Treatment Services, which provides a lot of addiction treatment in this community, uh, and particularly to women with children and families. Um, two great organizations doing great work in our community. That's where I focus, you know, I don't just talk about it. That's where I actually put my money. And it's, you know, a really personal subject to me. Uh, my family has had its issues with addiction. My father was a functional alcoholic. Um, I have a brother that is in recovery, and uh, I think he's about 10 years sober now. I haven't really tracked uh, how many years in he is uh, at this point. And I uh, had another brother that had issues with it. Um, that's passed on. And uh, so it, you know, it's affected my family uh, up close and personal. So it's, it's a very personal issue for me. Yet still, I voted against that resolution because it takes resources to draft these resolutions. And if there is not specific actions that go along with them or resources or changes in, in our, our organization or funding or you know, a new, you know, new regulation, new law, there's no point in doing them. You know, I, you know, people say, well, it's symbolic, it focuses attention and all that stuff. Like no one in this community understands the problems we have with addiction. The fact that we are like number four in the country when it comes to, to drug problems and we're number like 50 in funding and, and, and availability of, of addiction services. Yeah, we all understand that. You know, ask the person who had, you know, $9,000 worth of damage done to their business for stealing metal um, not too long ago, because somebody probably was feeding a drug habit when they stole all that wire out of their business and damaged their electrical system, you know. Ask the person whose tractor got stolen out of their shed, you know, because somebody was feeding the drug habit. You know, ask the person whose brother, you know, was hospitalized, you know, because of their addiction recently. Just, you know, just everybody really gets it. We know we have an addiction issue. Passing a resolution doesn't change that. Taking action does. So, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be in, in – in the news for once again being that one no vote, but there's there's you know purpose for my no votes and I'm being consistent on this. If a resolution comes forward that does not really have the force of action or is meaningful, I am going to vote against it because it costs resources for us to put them forward. So that's the second resolution we've had come forward in front of the board like that. So you know that's. Now, a couple thousand dollars, maybe as much as five thousand dollars, we've we've spent on resolutions. Um, I'm going to start keeping score, <laughs> and it looks like we may have another one come forward declaring us a community of kindness. And we, you know, that will be uh, an interesting thing when that one comes forward, because I truly believe in trying to choose kindness. But do we need to actually declare it? You know, is is it worth? You know, the, the staff time and resources to declare that, you know, rather than just modeling it and encouraging through leadership, other people modeling it. You know, that's what leadership's about, is, is modeling behavior and then asking other people to become models of that behavior and mentoring them into becoming models of that behavior. So... Resolutions, once again, were in front of the board. But, yeah, there's some other things that have been going on around the county. And, again, I just want to remind folks, anytime you want to jump in on the conversation, just dial in at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the conversation. And uh, 
we'll get you right up here and we'll get you on. And it doesn't have to be about kindness or addiction or, you know, homeless emergencies and declarations of uh, that kind. You, we'll talk about anything you want. In fact, we could even talk about the new tariff that's coming up on single malt scotch. Yes, I almost had to say that it was time to impeach the president if they're going to put a tariff on my single malt. Don't mess with my single malt. <laughs> my one true, you know, luxury that I enjoy is is being able to slowly sip a a nice glass of single malt scotch sometimes in the evening and savor that that wonderful uh, taste and they are going to actually put a 25% tariff on it, it looks like, coming up soon. Um, so I, knowing this, I went out and purchased a, a, a month's supply, probably, if not more, maybe about a four-month supply, hoping to save myself some money. But, you know, what's funny. Um, I had somebody comment that it was really, you know, this is, you know, the result of the vote, you know, somebody I know that doesn't like Trump. And I had to remind them this actually wasn't Trump's doing. This started in 2011 in a dispute during the Obama administration with the European Union over their subsidies for Airbus. And back and forth through the World Trade Organization and the court system there, we actually in 2018 won a decision by the WTO courts um, against the European Union on this particular subject that allows us to place these punitive tariffs on EU uh, products to make up for the damage they did to Boeing in, in the Airbus subsidies. And in fact, it's almost an automatic thing that happens um, through the WTO and the EU is not allowed to do punitive sanctions as, as a member of the WTO um, because they were found basically guilty of, of unfair uh, trade practice in subsidizing Airbus. So, um, yeah, all this is a long way of saying because governments sometimes get involved in subsidizing businesses and choosing winners and losers, we all lose in the long run because it, it creates things like, like these issues of unfair trade practices and then ultimately leads to trade disputes, trade wars, and then tariffs. And the only people that pay tariffs are the customers of that particular business. You know, the European Union's not going to pay the 25% tariff on my my single malt scotch. I'm going to pay that 25% tariff in the price. So um, all because the EU wanted to try and make sure Airbus was the winner in building airplanes and chose to take government money to subsidize Airbus. You know, so we have to be careful about how we utilize, you know, government subsidies. And, and we see it um, in all sorts of places where it uh, starts to cause problems. And we've had trade wars, you know, with Canada over their subsidizing lumber. Canada has gone after us about subsidizing our sugar and, and uh, grain and, and other ag products. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a vicious cycle. So it's kind of one of those things where we really should try and think about um, allowing the market to, to pick winners and losers rather than government picking winners and losers. And quite often, sometimes government, you know, suppresses uh, better uh, technology and better solutions when they start trying to pick a winner in a, in a uh, um, industry because uh, they, they may actually cause a competitor that was had, had a better you know, a better light bulb, uh, so to speak, um, from actually uh, getting a, a foothold and moving ahead in, in the uh, market because they subsidized an older industry that was maybe failing a little bit, but was important to some district somewhere. Uh, <laughs> and they throw money at it to try and rescue the industry. And what they end up doing is putting the innovators out of business and, and um actually suppressing innovation in the marketplace. So my, my story about 
tariffs on single malt scots is basically to get all the way back around to the fact that we should be always be careful about how we utilize the power of government in the marketplace. And and one of the reasons why I, I'm kind of shy away from doing that when you know and try not to do it. So getting on to maybe some other subjects here that maybe are a little bit more local um, about what the, the Board of Commissioners has been doing and what's been going on around here. I want to talk a little bit, we talked yesterday uh, in our board meeting about election security. And I know it's been on a lot of people's minds ever since the quote Russian collusion stuff and, and the attempts to quote hack um, elections, et cetera. Yeah, I just want to tell you that at least here in Oregon and, and particularly here in Lane County, we have a very, very secure election system once the ballots are turned in. And what I mean by that is um, once the ballots come into our, our drop boxes or uh, election, uh, if they're mailed in or dropped off at our elections office, they're, you know, two-person handling from opposite parties at all times, uh, you know, never, ballots are never handled where there's not um, uh, video um, cameras in all the rooms, basically, uh, and throughout uh, and being recorded um, throughout the election process. The tabulating machines have no connection to the internet at all. So there's no way to get in there and hack the actual vote tally from outside. Um, they run um, two test elections through the ballot counting machines prior to the election, and they run a third test after the election to confirm that the tallying machines are running accurately. Um, just an, a, an amazing amount of security goes into that. You know, even in the in the signature verification process is done by employees that have been trained by the FBI, basically in signature recognition. They have access to um, past signatures, and not only just on your voter registration, but on past ballots, so they can actually see the progression of somebody's maybe signature changing over time um, as, as they age or, or um, maybe you have an injury or whatever else. Um, if your signature is rejected, they contact you to, to, to make sure it was your signature and to get, you know, get you to to either get a new voter registration card in with your your newer signature on it and um, update that to make sure your ballot will actually get counted. Um, it's a pretty amazing process that we go through to, to, to guarantee that security. The one place that we can't make sure it's secure is we can't make sure that while somebody's at home filling out their ballot, they don't have undue influence uh, from somebody else in their household or wherever they, they're filling out their ballot. That somebody's not helping them fill out the ballot and influencing their choices, uh, or um, you know that there's not actual coercion going on in how they, they fill out their choices. That we lost without coming into a ballot uh, polling station and being able to stand in a booth you know, without anyone else and filling your ballot out. Unfortunately, that's the one piece we can't control in our election system here in Oregon. But know that once your ballot is into the elections department or in one of our, our boxes, um, we have a really secure system here in, in Oregon and Lane County. A lot of checks and balances. And I, I just, you know, want folks to know, that, you know, don't believe that anyone, you know, foreign people can get in and hack our system. It's really just not easily possible. So that was a good good piece of um, a report back to the board uh, yesterday. We also talked a little bit about the upcoming uh, census and um, starting to think about the process of redistricting in 2021 once we have that census data, like we've had to do every um, 10 years here in Lane County to make sure that our, our commissioner's districts are balanced by population and are, are done fairly. And the, the question I asked of staff um, as we think about having a uh, 
citizens committee of some kind help with that is who are the trusted people the citizens would trust to do that job fairly you know is it retired judges is it you know retired um, sheriffs uh, is it retired district attorneys is it retired county assessors you know some of these people that have been elected uh, countywide office um, you know who are the trusted people you know, that, that, you know, who do you trust? Because, you know, one of the things is that always, at least under our charter now, unless somebody wants to amend our charter, ultimately the decision on the redistricting comes back to the board. But it's the committee usually that it gets appointed by the board that makes that um, redistricting, you know, scenarios to the board. Who would you trust to give us the advice on how to draw our districts? I kind of think retired judges and retired sheriffs and DAs make a good group, partly because they do run for election countywide. They're not, they don't have a district. They, everybody votes for them. And once they're retired, they really don't have um, a, a, a uh, um, dog in the fight uh, or, or, you know, skin in the game, so to speak, they, they don't, you know, they're kind of pretty nonpartisan at that point. And uh, having served in a position that serves the entire county, they should kind of be fairly altruistic about serving the county. And I think that group of people um, might be a source, a, a pool of people that we could, could appoint um, committee members from that people might trust a little bit more to take the data and make good decisions about um, balancing populations since they changed, you know, over the 10 years and getting districts that are meaningful that still uh, follow our charter of having um, two rural commissioners, you know, the West commissioner, the East commissioner, uh, and then the three urban commissioners, the two from Eugene, the one from Springfield um, and their boundaries that make sense around those districts. But we're starting to think about that process. But you know, if you if you have some thoughts about that process, you know, now's the time to start, you know, writing emails to the board of commissioners or maybe making some public comments about how you'd like to see the process run. You know, if it were up to me, you know, maybe you know we get the charter amended and the board doesn't actually make the decision on the districts. Because when you really think about it, the way the system is set up now. We have elected officials deciding who's going to be their voters. You know, we'll be adopting districts, you know, and basically deciding who our voters are going to be. Kind of a little backwards. I think I'd rather have the citizens choosing who's going to vote for commissioners rather than the commissioners choosing which citizens are going to vote for them. You know, and that's what leads to the distrust of redistricting. Yeah, same thing, whether it's the legislature, I think it would be great if we had a, a uh, uh, state um, constitutional amendment that would put redistricting of our state legislative districts into the hands of some kind of group of, of trusted uh, citizens and that their final recommendation would just be adopt, you know, be adopted versus having the, the the uh, legislature be able to monkey with all that stuff because, you know, we've got legislative districts now that are just insane. You know, we've got one that's shaped like a C that wraps all the way around Eugene and Springfield and manages to get people that live next to uh, Hayward Field voting with folks up in Lynn County that live in Shed um, is one of the famous examples. Uh, I myself, living way out here in Elmira, I'm actually represented by somebody that lives in South Eugene because my district kind of has an L shape to it and includes uh, the South Hills of Eugene, comes out like an L to Benita and then turns north to include my house. Um, you know, so some kind of interesting districts right now in Oregon for legislative districts and makes you that sort of thing is what leads to that distrust of redistricting. So hoping we can do something different come, you know, two years from now. But now's the time to start asking for those changes and talking to your commissioners and, and uh, your other elected officials. Because if, if they don't start working on a different system now, you'll get the same system in two years. 
which is elected officials deciding on who their voters are going to be. So some of the other things we're doing, you know, you've seen probably in the news that we are, are going to probably try and um, keep the courthouse project going. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that we didn't pass the bond doesn't change the fact that the courthouse is 60 years old, um, built at a time when Lane County's population was less than half of what it is now. And security requirements in courthouses back weren't even hardly a consideration back then. Um, so lots of problems, not to the least of which is the current courthouse won't stand up in an earthquake. Um, so we still have to do something with the courthouse. Uh, what we're hoping to do, though, is to go back out to the community and say, what do you want to do? And come up with a proposal that matches what we're hearing from the community instead of um, what we did this time, which was kind of try and put a proposal together that um, was functionally accurate and correct and and took in the advice of nationwide experts on court function and who should be in the in the courthouse and how big it should be um, and didn't kind of involve the community in those conversations. So we're probably going to restart the conversation on the courthouse with a bunch of community meetings out there uh, trying to get community input. So stay tuned for that coming up in the next few months. We also continue to talk about the homeless issues and um, some of our winter homeless strategies came up recently. And uh, it's surprising to me that um, some people still think the only thing we're doing for the homeless in the wintertime are the Egan Warming Centers, when there's a whole list of things that we do for the homeless from our um, Dust the Dawn um, uh, site where we have these uh, MASH-style tents, you know, like you, know, you watch the, the, the show MASH where they're kind of dormitory tents where they can actually heat the tent and all that, and people, you know, people come in at, at – dusk basically and they get a cot and there's of course a waiting list to get in there but we can keep about 80 people in that dust to dawn tent when we first started out but we've actually we're actually doubling the capacity of that um, this coming winter and we also have something called dawn to dawn which is a, more of a 24-hour style with a similar kind of mash tent setup um, but where people don't have to leave during the day or a different group of, of more um, medically fragile people and all that, you know, don't have the mobility to be leaving, coming back. And um, it's a little bit different style. We started that last winter as we were closing up Camp 99. And uh, we also um, have some, you know, overnight car parking available uh, for folks, uh, particularly in our parking lot or our behavioral health um, Department. Of course, that's another dust to dawn sort of thing where they have to leave during the day because the parking lot has to be available for employees. Um, so the cars have to be fairly mobile for that particular use, um, which doesn't always work for people. And then we're also looking at some newer things. We're uh, potentially going to try and open up a portion of our uh, server uh, detention center that was that's empty right now. Uh, but needs to have some conversion because you can't have kids in um, basically detention cells uh, if they're not actually uh, adjudicated in or in the process of being adjudicated in the criminal justice system. Um, there's been some court rulings around that, you know, so um, we'll have to remodel that pod not to be quite so um, security oriented and to be more residential. And we're trying. We're looking at that uh, as as both uh, a shelter and an outreach center. So uh, we're hoping to hear about that in the next week um, and see if we can do that. But you know, the one thing about homelessness, you know, we're we're all talking about solutions that assist the homeless, and you know, in the addiction side, trying to help with the addiction problems, um, and and trying to be compassionate to the homeless. One of the things I'm hearing more and more about is the impacts of homelessness on other people, that other side of homelessness. You know, we can all be compassionate for the homeless, but there's, there, there is, you know, a, a impact to citizens outside of the homeless community. 
you know, if you're the uh, business that uh, has somebody misbehaving in front of or, uh, you know, relieving themselves near the front step, you lose customers from that, that impact that homeless person. It has a financial impact. If you're the business that had the, the metal theft go on recently to support a drug habit, you've been a victim and, and impacted by homelessness. And I'm hearing more and more from citizens that are concerned about that side of the homeless equation and holding people responsible for their behaviors. So there has to be kind of a balance in all this, um, you know, where we, we have compassion and show some kindness, but some of that kindness ought to be sometimes in holding people responsible because sometimes these folks that are in the throes of you know, mental health issues or addiction aren't going to get or have help made available to them unless they've been, you know, um, in contact with law enforcement and, and had some, uh, you know, consequence to their behavior, some accountability, you know, uh, to their actions and holding people accountable. And, and that's really um, part of the equation I think sometimes we forget about. And, and one of the things I think has to go hand in hand with the compassion is accountability. And, and remembering that they're, they're victims of property crime. They're folks that don't feel safe um, and don't want to walk the dog in their neighborhood anymore because they don't feel safe going out because of some of the behaviors they've encountered from homeless people. Um, that, that's, just, that's another side of the equation that, that we cannot forget. So as, as we think about you know, winter strategies and everything else, we also have to think about strategies that are going to increase accountability. Because I also think with that increase in accountability, you're actually increasing the likelihood that you are going to interrupt an addiction cycle and or a mental health um, uh, problem earlier in that and and actually have a better better outcome. So compassion and accountability when it comes to homelessness, and we're, I'm hoping we can work on both at, at the same time. So I'm going to pause for a breath here. We still have about eh, 12 minutes or so left in the Bo's Nose Show. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about on the Bo's Nose Show. Just give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so we know you want to get in on the conversation. We can talk about kindness and Ellen DeGeneres and George W. Bush, and um, resolutions, and meaningless resolutions, and those sort of things. We can talk about tariffs, and trade wars, and government subsidies, and, and the issues those create. Uh, we can talk about courthouse, election security, homelessness, all sorts of topics we've thrown out there today. Just give us a call, or anything that you want to talk about, 646-721-9887. Just press one so that Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the conversation. So I want to switch to a, another topic here um, that's come up recently and, and just touch on, on uh, road safety and uh, transportation and some of those issues for a few moments. Um, you know, it was kind of um, sad in some ways. Uh, I, I'd had somebody earlier last week ask me about the, um, there's a place on Highway 126 going over Badger Mountain, also referred to as Cougar Pass by some people, um, there between Notai and Walton, where um, the forest was harvested and after the harvest, suddenly people realize that there's a huge drop, uh, steep hill on the outside of this one curve. Well, the steep hill had always been there, but you kind of looked out into a forest, so it wasn't as, as, as easily uh, seen. And uh, now people are afraid of that, that curve and everything. Um, not that the trees would have stopped you from going down the hill because they're, they were pretty far off the edge of the road. 
Um, you still had a really bad wreck if you went off that curve. Um, but suddenly people are really concerned, and I've been asked consistently and consistently when's there going to be a guardrail put up there. And I knew there was a project under design by ODOT to do just that. Of course, one of the issues is um, the shoulder is not very wide there, and the guardrail right at the edge of the shoulder uh, is too close to the travel lane. And when you move it out, it gets down the hills so fast, it's really not effective. So they were going to have to build a retaining wall of some kind to put a guardrail on top of. So I promised some people that contacted me earlier in the week that I would check with ODOT where that project was and get back to them and put the word out on Facebook. Well, I got the response on Friday, put it out on Facebook, and almost at the same time I'm putting that word out, there was a really bad accident on Highway 126, not at that point, at a different area of, of the highway. But I really felt bad that I put this post out about this upcoming project, which is only going to it's going to happen in 2021 because it turns out that the slope isn't stable enough to put the retaining wall on. They're going to actually have to cut into the high side and 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 blast out some rock there to make the road wider and straighten the road out some uh, rather than going widening the road to the outside of the curve, they're going to have to widen to the inside of the curve. Um, and it's going to be a bit bigger project than they thought, but it's coming in 2021. Um, but it was really kind of um, sad that at the same time I'm posting about this safety project, there was a really bad accident out there in Walton, um, just in between where I was talking about Walton. And it stopped traffic for quite a while. They had to life flight um, the person out of there. Um, and, you know, just brings to mind just how dangerous some of our roads are. What's interesting, though, and I noted this to some of the people commenting on my post about the curve, is ODOT keeps track of accidents, and, and they actually track each tenth of a mile segment of the, the, the road where an accident happens. And in that segment of the road where that, that, that harvest happened, there's been a significant reduction in the number of accidents in that curve since people could see how steep that, that roadway is, how steep that drop-off is on the outside of the curve. So visually being able to understand how dangerous it is, people slowed down. So I'm kind of a little bit worried about putting the, the guardrail back up because maybe people speed up again. Uh, and there'll be more accidents again, but it's just, it's an interesting, you know, piece of human behavior that suddenly being able to see how dangerous something was actually caused people to change their behavior. And we actually have had less accidents on that, that stretch of road that includes that, that curve since they cut the trees down. So kind of interesting, but, um, People need to be safe out there and just, you know, a few things going on in the county, at least in my district, I want to make people aware that there is going to be a road closure for about a month coming up on Wolf Creek Road. Uh, a lot of people use that in, in the upcoming hunting seasons and all that starting uh, October 15th through about November 15th, they're going to be closing a section of Wolf Creek Road pretty far out. But it's going to mean you can't use Wolf Creek Road to get out to Sayusla River Road. If you're a cyclist and like making that, that Wolf Creek loop and cyclists that ride out that way and know what I'm talking about, you won't be able to complete the loop. Um, it's a, a major repair going on out there um, on Wolf Creek Road. Starting next week, um, it'll be closed for a month. So just a public service announcement here on the Bo's Nose Show. And just, you know, pay attention. I was talking to somebody today that, that has um, basically banned themselves from texting for six months uh, to try and break themselves of the habit of texting while they're in the car. Mind you, they never texted while they were moving. They only would do it when they stopped at stop signs and stoplights. But they realized that's even dangerous at any, at any time. And I just kind of wonder if that accident that happened in, in, out there on Highway 126, if it was a distracted driving accident or, or if it was just somebody going too fast or were they impaired? Because almost all the accidents uh, in Lane County that result in major injuries or deaths are 
lane departures, which you know generally happen because you're either driving too fast, too fast for the conditions of the roadway at the time, you're distracted by something, or you're impaired. You know that. Why else would you leave your lane? Yeah. Um, so that's driver behavior, and we can change driver behavior. You know, important thing in in, in Lane County. Uh, almost all of our major accidents are driver behavior driven. The only thing that helps with that is enforcement. So you know, getting out there and writing a bunch of tickets for people, you know, going too fast, driving impaired, or distracted driving. You know, which you hate to have to get to that, but that's really what it takes in some ways. Unfortunately, we don't have the resources to do that kind of enforcement. So we have to start policing ourselves and ask yourself, you know, do I really need to, to drive this fast? Do I really need to get there a minute or so? You know, does it make that much of a difference in the total time it takes me to get someplace to, to push the speed limit? Do I really need to be distracted by my phone or by my, you know, uh, navigation system or the kid in the back seat. Uh, you know, should I stop and pull over? You know, and definitely, we no one should be driving impaired. We have Uber and Lyft in Lane County now. <laughs> Nobody should be driving impaired. We have taxi services. You know, you have friends. You know, call it. You know, call a friend. Use that lifeline because it is a lifeline. May not be for you. May be for the person that you were going going to have a crash with. Um, but use that lifeline. Make that phone call. So a couple minutes left on the Bose Nose Show here. Uh, got a moment for a call if you want to get in here. Six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. Just press one to get in on the Bose Nose Show. Robin, you've been mighty quiet since the beginning of the show, and I didn't have a what were they thinking today, but anything on your mind today? On my mind. Huh. Well, I understand that they want to put the cap and trade on the ballot again. Well, at least not again, but at least uh, on the ballot. Yeah, I saw that. Um, there are actually a couple ballot measures they're looking to put on. One's that uh, – uh, statewide measure on on uh, carbon, and then there's also something that uh, looks like that they're out collecting signatures to put a ballot measure out there to amend Lane County's charter to put a cap on the city of Eugene's income tax. Any tax would be nice. <laughs> Which I kind of wonder is whether there's it's a legal thing we could do anyway, but you know, it's one of those things where you can put just about whatever you want on the ballot, whether it actually survives a court challenge after, if if it does get approved. But uh, it's kind of interesting that there are people out there that are pretty upset about the city of Eugene's income tax, and I think it's mostly people that live outside the city of Eugene and work inside that are mostly upset. Are you talking about the public safety tax? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and what worries me about that is if it starts a trend, you know, okay, well, City of Eugene's doing it, let's Springfield do it, and County do it, and then yeah, you know, whoever else is going to do it. Taxation without representation, or taxation for a service you don't directly benefit. Well, yeah, I mean, every every bit of taxes has some representation, it's just not what you think it is. They just make something up. Yep. It benefits somebody. Yep. So, yeah, it's it's that one's an interesting one. Yeah, it it it's always interesting what might be on the ballot. And you know, recently um, a couple of uh, measures that were going to uh, try and limit uh, timber practices were rejected by the Secretary of State's office, uh, and that kind of made the news uh, last week. And uh, probably what didn't make the news um, in the last couple of weeks very much in this area was that Lincoln County ballot measure that passed by 16 votes to ban aerial spray mm -hmm. in Lincoln County was overturned by the courts uh, it last about two weeks ago. So 
Uh, we've had an actual court decision that says it's not legal to ban aerial spray at the county level. Well, we're about out of time for the Bose Nose Show this week. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope that you will choose kindness this week as you are interacting with people, you know, in person or while you're driving, like letting somebody in in front of you, uh, or even if you are sitting next to them at a football game. Uh, so I would just want to thank you all for listening to the Bose Nose Show. We'll be back next Wednesday at 4 o'clock here, live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week, and thank you for listening.